Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm your host, Neil Blackman. On today's show, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, and I will break down Florida's loss to Georgia, uh, talk about how it impacts the Gators and their standing on uh, the bubble, which they are very much um, back on now. Um, And we'll preview senior night, uh, Gators getting set to honor a group of seniors, uh, and host uh, LSU, who is by most accounts at, at at worst a three seed, maybe a two seed. So a pretty challenging uh, senior night game for Florida. And then, of course, they'll close with uh, Kentucky at Rupp Saturday. So a very difficult week for the Gators. We'll talk about it. Um, all that and more coming up on the show. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody, we're back. Uh, Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Leo Blackman. I am with Eric Fawcett at GatorCountry.com. And we are going to talk about uh, what happened Saturday in its Zach Tech Arena. Florida suffers a quad three loss. Um, their worst loss of the season, at least on, a, on, on the resume. Uh, and it, a weird game because, not because... Florida lost to Georgia at home, which happened last year. But I thought kind of a strange game because it almost was like Eric and I kind of saw it coming. I mean, Georgia had been playing pretty well. They hadn't been closing. And Florida, the last two seasons, just has not handled success. Yeah, I I do think that that was kind of one of the interesting things that we pointed out on the last podcast was the fact that they, even though we're on a massive losing streak, had a little bit of that kind of weird momentum about playing some really good teams like LSU and Mississippi State and uh, and Ole Miss and they, they played them tight and um, it, it just kind of shows that uh, that they were kind of ready to pounce and, and they did to an extent and uh, while I you know saying that uh, although I do think they're ready to pounce I don't think that it was the Gators played so good and and Georgia outplayed them I I do not think Florida played a good basketball game whatsoever. Um, right. At the same time, yeah, I do think that they're kind of Georgia's past few games was an indication that they uh, they certainly wouldn't be scared of uh, scared of the Gators uh, even at even in, even at the O Dome, and uh, that kind of played itself out. So let's. I mean, I think maybe one interesting place to start is I think where should we start? Let's start with let's start with offense, and this is a game where. You know, you saw a lot of these criticisms um, from various people. You know, oh, well, Florida's very stagnant offensively. Um, and I think certainly they couldn't get into a rhythm offensively. But I'm not sure it was so much about sets. It was like Florida just didn't make shots. There was an element to that. I definitely think that it seemed like they were a little bit just like slow getting to spots. There was kind of times where they were going to go to that – uh, that, that, that kind of set where they go to a, a four flat around the, th- uh, around the free throw line and then they break out to, uh, to a screen and roll for Hayes and, and Nemhart. Uh, I, I think that uh, I do think they were just a little bit kind of slow getting to spots and, and I don't think had a lot of uh, urgency or intensity there. And I think that it got them into some, uh, got them into some late clock situations. Um, you were talking about how they couldn't get into rhythm. That's totally true. And, and obviously part of that was, uh, was kind of aided by the fact that um, obviously that um, Nemhart went out for a, for a stretch there, and things weren't really going great before he went out. But I mean, you take out your uh, your primary initiator, uh, that's not going to help your rhythm. 
Uh, but there was also just like you like you were saying, um, they weren't to making shots. I thought Noah Locke had some good looks that didn't come out. Um, Jalen Hudson, um, yeah, Jalen Hudson was two for eight from from two. Uh, he had a lot of he left a lot of points at the rim. Um, he had he had like three missed layups and a missed dunk. Like that was that was eight points right there. And and I honestly don't even say that to to say hey Jalen Hudson, you got to be better um, because I was actually really impressed with his ability to get to the rim. Uh, those shots spilled out, but I mean, they were great looks and um, I was actually really encouraged by them. Uh, but yeah, I do think there's definitely an element to that, just shots for not falling. Yeah. I mean, I think at some point in the game, I, I tweeted uh, that the Jalen was doing a nice job of attacking the rim and he kind of needed to finish the deal. Um, but, but I, I, you know, on rewatch, I counted and, and Florida had 10 shots at four feet or, or closer that 10 shots, four feet or closer. It didn't go in. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I mean, you know, and, and half of them were half of them were actually Hudson. Yeah, over uh, four from, spread from out. Allen. From yeah, well, least. yeah, and, right. And Keontae Johnson missed a uh, a beautiful, um, you know, had a beautiful drive where he missed the layup, um, and then Kavarius Hayes uh, missed a bunny. So yeah, four from Hudson, um, three from four feet or closer from Allen. One from Keontae, one from Kavarius, ten. Yeah, those are those are ones you need. I mean, you look at the you look at the box score pretty quick, and um, uh, you, they they were forty eight percent from two, which actually isn't isn't that bad. But they could have done uh, they could have gone a lot better. But uh, you look at Georgia, uh, Georgia was sixty one percent from uh, from two. They only shot ten three pointers. Uh, they actually have four. I'm so good percentage, but they only shot ten three pointers, which is pretty low for the modern game. Uh, but they're getting everything they wanted and, and hitting shots aside and Florida wasn't. And uh, to see that kind of difference and see that Florida was, uh, was there until kind of the final possessions, that says a lot. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, I thought, look, I mean, if you, Matt, we're not saying, so we're clear, we're not saying Florida should have made all 10 of those shots from four feet or closer. Like you're going to miss some shots, but if you make half of those, you win. So um, I think Florida, was in a position where they were getting, they were still getting into the paint, I guess is the point I'm trying to make, just as they've done in the five-game win streak. The difference is, you know, this time uh, they weren't finishing at the rim. And then I thought Florida in the second half, what was interesting is, you know, Florida scored and went on a run to take the lead at halftime with Nimhart out. Florida goes on its longest scoreless stretch of the season, nine minutes, two seconds, with Nimhart on the floor pretty much the whole time. Um, I don't know how much of that, you know, on rewatch, some of that I think was Georgia playing great defense. But some of it was just Florida, again, missing shots or kind of being, you know, for especially for two or three minutes of it, I thought being really timid. Yeah, and uh, there's just a bad stretch there too where um, where Isaiah Stokes had some some tough, well, some uh, some bad offensive fouls, I would say. It, bad in the sense that I, I thought they weren't great from his Oh, in the first half, of, yeah. Right, <laughs> oh, yeah. Bad. Well, and even um, and then there was a, there was a lot of possessions that, that kind of died with that Kayvon Allen bad shots, and um, I, even Keontae Johnson, who you know I'm a massive fan of Keontae Johnson, but uh, but he had some bad turnovers, and uh, just all of those things just kind of get to the fact that uh, yeah, they just were never able to really get some rhythm, and it definitely culminated with that uh, with that scoring drought. Then Florida, uh, you know, again we we saw. It kind of the, the, the inability to get vital stops reared its ugly head again after, after staying away for a few weeks. Yeah, so this is – okay, there's two things that made me really angry watching a game, uh, <laughs> especially. Um, 
And uh, actually, okay, so I, I told Neil, so, so I'm, actually, uh, I'm actually in Vegas right now, so I didn't watch the game live. Um, I had to watch it afterwards, knowing the outcome, which is always a very painful, uh, painful experience. But there's two things that made me really, really mad, aided by the fact that I was watching on, um, on kind of an app called Synergy, where I can you keep, keep going back and just rewinding quickly. And, uh, was, the first one was that missed travel call. Um, kind of late in the game down the stretch where it was like one or it was like a one point game. Uh, Oak Bede grabs a rebound, falls to the floor. Both refs put their hands up looking at each other and then the play goes on and Georgia scores a quick one on the other end. Big swing. Yeah, it was two missed made... travels too, I thought. I thought there was oh, a travel. Yeah. I thought he traveled down at the other end too before the goal team. Oh, absolutely. So that made me really <laughs> mad. And the other thing that made me really mad, and this is was Neil's original point about not being able to get vital stops, was uh, was Florida's within one point, um, kind of two possessions later, and um, Jordan Jordan Harris got the basketball. Uh, he was guarded by Kayvon Allen, and Kayvon Allen played really really poor defense. And so what happened was um, Jordan Harris got the ball. He's in triple threat, so he still got to dribble if he wants it. Um, he pump fakes once. Um, Allen doesn't do anything, which is great. Stay down, play on defense, and then just with his eyes, with a head fake, Kayvon Allen on the second one. Uh, just jumps straight in the air and waves his hands as if a pass is coming. And Jordan Harris just absolutely burns him off the dribble because Kayvon Allen is in the air and you can't move sideways or backwards when you're in the air. And he gets to the hoop and gets a big bucket. And I thought that was just really, really poorly defended by Allen. Um, uh, it was kind of one of those moments too where, where I don't want to say like, I, I, you know, I'm not sure where his head was at this game because, yeah, again, I don't like to speculate too much on um, kind of that kind of side of the game. But um, he just seemed to lax and focus on the offensive end. And when the, when the Gators really needed a stop, he was guarding the ball and he jumped at a head fake that wasn't even there to a player with um, a live dribble who got past him easily and got to the hoop for a layup. And that was kind of the big swing. And then on the next play, obviously the Gators needed a quick bucket and, and came on Allen put up a shot that was pretty ugly. But I mean, again, Florida just needed something quick there. So I don't blame him as much there, but, um, but yeah, that was the stop they needed. It wasn't even defended. So it was defended really poorly. It wasn't even just, ah, that wasn't great. It was really, really poorly defended. Yeah. And it's, I mean, again, it's the, and that the, the thing we've gone back to on the show with Kayvon is that when he has these nights where he's three of 10 or a Saturday, one of 10 from the field, um, you know, you've been able to rely on his defense most of the time, you know, whether, whether it was against Tyree of Ole Miss, you know, or, or, um, you know, against Cassius Winston. I mean, the players that he's played against that are elite guards, and he's really, you know, held his own a lot of the time. That's how you end up with a 91 defensive rating, which is very good. But Saturday, that wasn't the case on either side of the ball. And I'm, I'm with Eric. I don't know what that's about, but I know it's, it's the end of his senior year, and that's deeply concerning. It, it is. It's too bad. And I don't think he played a terrible defensive game. But um, just on, on the biggest defensive possession of the game, he really couldn't have played it worse. To be able to leave your feet uh, completely unnecessarily is about the worst thing you could do other than, you know, just running up and fouling him, I guess, would have been worse. But, um, but yeah, it's, and, and maybe, maybe if he has a great offensive game, I, I don't say anything about it. But um, uh, it just, I, I just, it's something we have to talk about because even though Florida has, able, has been able to close a couple of tight games recently, uh, the, uh, a lot of this pod, a lot of the time on this very podcast this season has been spent um, looking at a game where the Gators lost by one possession, or, or lost in a game like this where it was within one possession in, in the final couple minutes, and like and said like, hey, the the Gators did something really wrong. So that is just something that, um, yeah, I just feel like uh, 
this this kind of was a throwback game to uh, the beginning of the season where where the Gators just were losing every one of these tight games. Yeah, I mean, the game it reminded me the most of was the first Butler game. Um, Because it was kind of obvious that in that game, it was obvious that Butler was going to go to Baldwin. In this game, it was really obvious they were going to go to Claxton. And I think my biggest, like on rewatch, and I'm interested in your answer to this, like my biggest criticism of Mike White and the staff um, from this game was the way that I felt. I felt like they were a little late to adjust to Claxton. I'm not, you know, yeah, Georgia shot four of 10 from three point range. And like, I get it. They got crushed by crump last year from, from deep. Right. And Jordan Harris has been hot uh, out there and can really shoot it, but they've, they've doubled superior bigs multiple times this season with success. And I thought whether it was a lack of urgency or a lack of focus, the way they defended Claxton wasn't good. And wasn't really adjusted to. Yeah, to be to. honest, you know what? This game actually reminded me a lot of um, uh, same tournament, different opponent. It reminded me a whole lot of when they played Oklahoma. And why it reminded me of that game was because that was a game where um, Florida's switching defense got absolutely abused by Oklahoma. When um, a guy like Jumani McNeese, who's not a great offensive player, um, but he got Nemhard on him every time down the floor, and then they posted him up. And, uh, yeah. you know, Jumani McNeese, not a great defensive player when he's got a point guard on him. Um, he can finish. And uh, when I was watching the game and once again, so I was watching this game knowing the outcome. So I was, I, I knew that, I knew that Georgia won and I knew that uh, Claxton was going off. Um, so just to be able to watch the game looking like, Hey, how, how did they go about getting him the ball? And um, how did he go about, you know, putting up all his points and a whole lot of it was because um, they got, they, they wanted, they were trying to generate the switch to get Andrew Nemhard to guard him. Um, and because Florida switches and is happy to switch um, Florida wasn't kind of, fighting to, to make that switch not happen. So uh, it was kind of one of those situations where right. you're like, you know, Florida wants to switch everything. Um, but obviously, obviously Georgia really wants that switch. So it's like, uh, is that something you should really be doing? And, and I just felt like um, a lot of the plays were, were when they got this, um, this isolation of, of Claxton on Nemhart. And um, I, I really like Nemhart. I think he's a strong positional defender, but that's just really tough for him to do on, on you know 10 or 15 possessions where he's got to bang down low with Claxton or guard him on the perimeter where Claxton has a foot of reach on him so he can keep the ball to the outside and and shield Nemhar while putting a shoulder into him and um, I just feel like that was kind of the story of it was uh was he was really content uh, uh he was re- you know, Georgia was just looking for that switch Florida was happy enough to oblige and that matchup went heavily in the favor of Georgia yeah yeah, no, I, I, that's a, that's a good. I mean, that was that was pretty close to to what I thought too. In fact, I'll tell an anecdote from this was not on my my rewatch, which you know I got to ch- I went to church and I felt great about myself after church, like I often do, because um, you know I just get energized and, and whatever, <laughs> and then I'll come home and I was like, oh man, all that positive energy is just uh, <laughs> sapped out from the rewatch. But watching it live, um, so I told Eric this off the air, but but. I sat in a different place than I usually sit. And so I was, I was low. I was like seventh row behind the basket and by the Florida bench. And, you know, my anecdote would be that in the first half, they were coming directly at the Florida bench. Georgia was offensively. And I can't tell you, I think it was three or four times that we heard uh, coach Nichols yelling, stop switching, stop switching. Um, So, you know, 
we get into these discussions about players not necessarily doing what the coaches are telling them to do. And, you know, this might have been one of those scenarios. But I still think Florida could have done something in the second half, whether it was double or deny entry passes. Um, and they did some of that late in the game on Georgia's late possessions, including the one that Eric referenced with Harris, where they really did take away Claxton. Um, but but then they got beat by Jordan Harris. Well, that's a really interesting anecdote talking about the way that he was saying stop switching because um... – at the same time, I mean, Florida has been a switching team all year, and it works to the it works really well. But uh, for most of the game, but um, I, I do think that, like, like I was kind of saying on offense, where I felt like guys were just a little bit slow getting to their spots, and um, they weren't really like exploding off screens. They weren't really um, being quick out of the actions, and and maybe even looked a little bit tired. And uh, I think that could be if if that was the case on offense, it was probably the same on defense. And I think. Um, obviously, yeah, Florida's been switching all year. And when, when their offense is – or, sorry, when their defense has been great, um, it's, you know, they can give up those switches that give up mismatches. But as soon as the ball gets down low, there's a, there's a second defender blanketing him. He's got to force the ball out. Everyone rotates. That's when Florida's defense has been at their best. And uh, it just didn't seem like um, – it didn't seem like any of that action was there. So uh, maybe it was just a little bit of, uh, of, of tired legs uh, or just kind of uh, – a lack of intensity, but it is interesting to hear that uh, that Nichols was saying like stop switching because uh, um, just because yeah, when I was watching the game, that was what I was thinking to myself too. Well, yeah, and, and it started after about the third Georgia dunk at the rim, which was early in the game, and I think at that point the coaching staff was like, "Yeah, you guys got to stop doing that," because that a lot of times it was interior too, like so you'd end up with you know a guard on on a big and that makes the passing the interior passing a lot easier when you get mismatches but um in terms of uh some of the other kind of speculation from from the twitter sphere uh, you know i did see a lot of tweeting about you know i don't understand why they don't play isaiah stokes florida really needs a post presence um was a common you know kind of fan thread and and on rewatch, I was like, all right, I'll openly, you know, sh- buck my normal reaction to that and, like, see what they're talking about. And I thought it was Stokes' worst game in, like, a month and a half. So it was very confusing. I, I am someone who, who really loves, like, big basketball. I love when guys play big. I love when um, our teams play big. I, I, I love watching post-ups. It's one of the things that, like, is definitely different for me and the average kind of fan nowadays that loves just guys just launching threes. Um, I, I really want to love Isaiah Stokes, and I think I could certainly get to that point. But right now, I, I, there's so many people that just love him and think he commands so many minutes, and, and I just truly don't see it. Um, I, and that's even, even again, something we just keep talking about is the fact that he needs to be really good from an offensive standpoint to, um, uh, to kind of warn minutes on the floor. I thought he got abused the last couple of games in, in screen and roll coverage and, and did have some good moments offensively, but uh, I'm not quite sure it kind of, mitigated the damage on the other end um but here's a game too where where he just um like you said he had a he had five minutes i think um it seemed like he played more just because it seems like he had kind of room for a lot of or yeah six just because it seems like he uh he had the chance it seems like he made enough mistakes that it felt like he was out there for a while and um he's and again he has <laughs> he's had some great kind of he's had some great moments and i thought um you know one of his travels uh was really close to being a really nice move and 
Um, but yeah, uh, I'll probably let you talk about the, uh, the offensive fouls here, but no, I didn't think it was a very good stretch or a very good game for him at all. And I don't think this has been a very um, great stretch for him yet. Uh, there's a lot of people that still keep calling for the fact that, that he should play a lot more minutes. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. Like you're, if you've watched Kavarius Hayes and, and we've tried to talk about how statistically um, he shot a really high percentage in the last month and a half Hayes, and, and did so again Saturday night um, and has shown some some significant progress with his post moves, I think, in order to do that. Um, and, and probably was the least bad offender of the missed layup club uh, Saturday, Hayes. So on the one hand, we've talked about that increase in efficiency, and we've tried to talk about how if you look at Isaiah Stokes' field goal percentages, he's not making shots at a high enough level for someone with the skill set he has. Now I get it. It's easy to fall in love with the offensive skill set, right? I mean, he can, he can do things that a Florida big hasn't really been able to do in a while. Um, you know, uh, Vernon Macklin had a little that of that to his game, but not as much as Isaiah Stokes, but Vernon made made more shots. Um, <laughs> that's the thing. So I think, I think there's that element. But what, what bothers me is you get crushed on an elevator screen, which is a beautiful little play uh, where Georgia has two under screens and Claxton slips through them. And Stokes is just like, then boom, the elevator doors go shut. And Claxton buries the triple and then talks to Stokes the whole way down the floor. Um, and Stokes is so mad by the time he gets down the floor that when he receives the ball, he just elbows Claxton to try to drive him out of the way. Quick offensive foul. So in addition to giving up a three, because he didn't recognize the screening action, um, he commits a silly offensive foul six seconds into the shot clock on the other end. And Mike White is mad because he says, you know, Claxton's taunting him on the way down and that's fine. But you know, the referees talked to Claxton about it right after the play. It was 20 feet from me. And, you know, that's all they can do there because they're probably not going to call technical the first time you taunt somebody the way he was, um, unless it's Trey Young, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that little sequence in and of itself um, where he commits two offensive fouls on consecutive possessions and gets destroyed on an underscreen for a three-pointer. I mean, that's the kind of, you know, you want to know why he doesn't play more. That's yeah, why. well, here's here's some numbers again, and uh, kind of let me reiterate. I, I I do, I don't want to crush the guy because I do think that um, playing the low post game is really really difficult. He's talented. There's, there's a reason why there's not a lot of guys that are that are kind of elite low post scores in college basketball because because it's really tough to right. do that. It's a tough skill set. Um, but just for for maybe people listening to this podcast that say like, oh, we need him in the game, um, especially for his offense. So. Um, on post-ups, which uh, this season he's shooting 34.6%. Um, and because of that, uh, he, that is a 0.64 points per possession, which is very low. That is not a very – that is not an efficient shot. Um, and if you go a little bit further, he's turned over the ball on 20.5% of his post-up touches. So one out of every five times he gets the ball in the post, he has turned the ball over. So that is a lot for a player that is shooting 34%. And he's gotten fouled on 12% of his uh, possessions, which is actually really good because we talked a few weeks ago about Stokes. And at that point in the season, he had not been fouled at his, on a single post-up, which was crazy. Like, that's just, like, hard to do. Um, so at least he's starting to draw a few more fouls. But, um, so, so, but the main numbers here are he is shooting 34.6% and turning the ball over 
on 20.5% of the time. So if you are someone who thinks that, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. so just if you're someone who thinks like, oh, Stokes needs to be in the game, look at his offense. Imagine him getting the ball thrown to him in the post. There's a one out of five times, one out of five times he's going to turn the ball over. If he doesn't turn the ball over and puts up a shot, he is going to either shoot, he's going to, he's going to only make it at a 34.6% clip or he's going to get fouled, you know, 12% of the time. So that's, that's not horrendous numbers. I get like, it's, it's below average, um, but it's not horrendous. But again, if, if for the people that say like, how does Mike White not see this? Why is he not like, why is he not seeing that he should have Stokes in the game for 20 <laughs> minutes and, and play like the, the numbers are just, just not there. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, um, I'm not gonna, am I going to beat the dead horse here? Just, just going to say that, the thing about that one in five turnover rate is it's just not something that's sustainable for this Florida team either. Their biggest advantage. In fact, and, and this segues into our next topic of discussion, which is where this leaves Florida. When you look at a bracket, when I look at a bracket with Florida, I'm going to say, how are the other teams guards? And do they take care of the ball? Because quite honestly, Florida stayed in the game with Georgia because Georgia's guards kept turning the ball over um, and Florida's good at producing turnovers. And with Stokes on the floor, you negate some of that strength because he turns the ball over. So, um, you know, I'm not sure that that's kind of yet another reason that, that it creates some, some concern for me. Um, in terms of where this loss leaves Florida, you know, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Eric talk about it because I think he's, he's seeing a lot of the commentary on, uh, on Gator Country and, and kind of has a pulse of, of where the fan yeah, is. Yeah, I just think that one thing that's kind of just, again, one more thought on the I'm going to beat the dead horse here. So many people have, have made fun of sure. are just, you know, the laughing point of Kavarius Hayes' hands this year has been very large slash last year. Um, people always say, like, talk about how bad Kavarius Hayes' hands are. Um, I mean, Kavarius Hayes is, shoot, is, is, you know, shooting over 60% from the field. He's like, he's almost at double the field goal percentage of Stokes and Stokes is turning it over on 1.5 times he touches, you know, or one of every five times he touches the ball. So, I mean, if, if you want to talk about someone who fumbles the ball, like I would take the guy like Kays that if he catches the ball is finishing 65% versus Isaiah Stokes, who turns it over about the same amount, but is shooting 35%. So um, that's my just, you know, regular defending of, of Kamari says. Um, but talking about where at least Florida, um, just, I just decided to pull up, uh, just this morning, pulled up the net rankings just because, uh, you know, the net rankings are notoriously slow uh, updating if anyone looks at them. Um, and then just, so uh, just to <laughs> see where this kind of loss put Florida. So they dropped to a 35 in the net rankings, which is a pretty big fall. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's spots. pretty rough. But, but 35 in the net, you know, that's, uh, that's still pretty strong. That's, that's higher than Ole Miss. That's higher than Syracuse. Um, uh, that's higher than, you know, Ohio State, Furman, Belmont, Lipscomb, some teams in people's fields. And then I looked at bracket matrix, which um, is kind of my favorite thing to look at bracketology-wise, just uh, just kind of a composite of, like, over 100 brackets. Um, and uh, they still have Florida as an 11 seed, um, and they have Florida as the highest 11 seed. So um, in terms of teams that are at large, they have, it's at, they're ahead of TCU, Utah State, Minnesota, Arizona State, Alabama, Clemson, Seton Hall. Um, so there's still a, there's still a good, you know, eight teams that Florida is ahead of in terms of um, getting it at large bid, which um, again, would I say that they're in comfortably, uh, that's probably not comfortably in the tournament. Um, but at the same time, I mean, if you've got, 
eight teams behind you in, in a lot of people's brackets. Um, that still means that, uh, that still means you're, you're, you know, you're in. And I, I think a lot of people saw that loss against Georgia as uh, something that knocked them out of the tournament picture. And um, in terms of their net ranking and in terms of a lot of people, a lot of bracketologists um, brackets, um, that isn't the case. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, uh, a friend of the pod, Rob Douster, kind of put it the best way when he said uh, what mystified him about it was that it was kind of a win and end game, especially with the week that Florida has ahead of it, where, you know, Florida gets the win, they get 10 wins of the conference, guaranteed. And then you're 10 and 8 in the SEC. And, well, okay, it's going to be hard to keep you out. Um, now, Florida puts being a 15-loss team into play, uh, which really, you know, it's not the 15. In fact, the last two seasons, 15-loss teams have gotten in, and including uh, one from the SEC. And Kwanzaa Martin got a 15-loss team in and went to the Sweet 16 um, when he was at Tennessee. So there's some history of that in the SEC when it's really good, which it is this year, uh, at least on paper. Um, but you know, it, it does get trickier that way. Right. So um, I think that's, that's the biggest problem in addition to this home loss culture question, which I'm going to ask you now, uh, which is, you know, yeah, I mean, this is another season where Florida loses five or more games at home. Um, you know, and, and Mike White said, well, some teams get complacent on their home floor. I, I don't know. I, I mean, are you, what what concerns you about that? Because obviously, I think it's a little different this year because three of those losses are really really good basketball. Right. I, I kind of look at those those games as um, well. It's weird because I, I I kind of see them as like, hey, they lost to good teams. Um, but I also saw, hey, these were a lot of close games. That uh, a lot of times in in close games, the the home team does have kind of the advantage, at least kind of historically in college basketball. So uh, there's part of me that's yeah, like, oh, yeah. Man, like those are games that uh, that I kind of wish they pulled out. Like just and. Right. Yeah, and, uh, that's another thing right. that's, um, if you look at kind of, again, college basketball on a whole, usually the teams that, um, that are kind of uh, the way that kind of is where they are, um, a really, really good defensive team and uh, not a great offensive team. A lot of teams like that are so much better on their home floor, uh, because you usually get more shots on your home floor. So you usually see these teams like Florida that are excellent defensively. And you say, Hey, they're going to defend pretty much the same whether they're on the home or, or the road, even though sometimes you can kind of get that, that energy boost on defense from being in front of your crowd. Uh, but then you make more shots at home and then you should win more games. And uh, yeah, so the fact that that hasn't happened is, is a little weird. And um, just the fact that, uh, uh, again, you think that Florida maybe uh, would get that little extra push defensively, have a little bit more energy just um, from having the crowd cheering them on. But uh at the same time, I think that they, they give so much effort on the, on the road, too. Maybe it just doesn't matter to them. But, yeah, I would say I'm a little bit torn but between whether I think that it's um, there's something behind it or if I think it's just uh, uh, just some tough luck. Yeah, well, look, um, you know, I'm of the view that, that it, it's something that they should culturally try to address. And I, I know, I, I, you know, I just said, uh, well, three of them were the great teams. But certainly two of those games, Michigan State and Tennessee, Florida was very much in the game at the under four. And, you know, you'd like to win those games, right, um, on, on your home floor. And, and you have to do that if you want to be really good as opposed to on the bubble. Um, and so I think, you know, you think about how good this team was, especially under White, 
the second year at home and, and how they played so much better his first season at home. Um, and you kind of wonder, you know, is it the new building? Is it the renovations? Um, is it quieter in there? Cause there's no more bleachers and there's less stopping. The fact it was spring break Saturday. Is that a factor? Um, the fact that, you know, Wednesday night, huge game against LSU, which we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, I mean, they're, they're doing email blasts trying to fill the building. Um, because of spring break, sure. But, you know, you reduce capacity to put in these suites uh, and, and you shouldn't have issues filling the building against a top 10 LSU team, right? So I think, I think there's some of, some of that that I think is a cultural concern. And Eric and I don't get into these types of things, especially in season. Um, a, because we don't have enough access to sort of make grand pronouncements about culture. But I can look at a pattern and say the program loses at home too much, and I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I would say that that's a little bit of fact. And what's what's just really crazy is could you think could you think about if we beat Michigan State on on our home floor, um, where they'd be right now in terms of even just let's just say even in terms of just in terms of the bracket, not even in terms of like you know. Well, they wouldn't be on. Yeah, I mean, they'd right, be right, or even much. that Tennessee game that they're right in, and uh, it's just it's just it's right. kind of a, or even Kentucky where they. Uh, where Kentucky, they, they led by 12 with 10 minutes to go. Right, so. so it's just crazy to think and kind of frustrating, quite frankly, um, from a fan standpoint, yeah. just to think of like, oh man, like even if, if, if we had one of those games, we would have been in so much comfortably. Not even not even accounting for the fact that like, hey, if, if they beat Kentucky, instead of having that really, really deflating second half debacle, um, do they get completely embarrassed by Auburn the next game? I'd like to think maybe not. So right. anyways... Maybe not. Um, yeah, so I think that there, there maybe is just, uh, just something to, uh, yeah, to how just you need to be able to take care of business on your home floor. And, um, but I, I do wonder, just again, like to what extent do you, um, uh, how do you make that kind of cultural, <laughs> cultural change? Because do I think that, uh, you know, do I think that these guys uh, uh, get up more to play, a, you know, a road game at Vanderbilt? Um, maybe I, I don't know. I, I don't think they do. I, I'd like to think that. Uh, uh, I'd like to think they'd be a little bit more excited at home, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I'd really be interested to hearing about, uh, you know, I hear a lot about Florida's uh, kind of uh, how, uh, how regimented Florida's uh, game day situation is both on home and the, and the road when it comes to, to shoot arounds and things like that. And uh, you know, obviously it's working on the road, but there, there's, I just wonder if you, you see some of these rough performances at home and, and maybe you think about changing up something. Uh, maybe you don't do that if your last home game of the season um, upcoming here. Right. But, um, right. Yeah. Maybe as, uh, as you kind of in the off season, as they look towards next season, uh, maybe they think about changing something up or uh, just in terms of their preparation on, at home. But, um, uh, but again, uh, that's something that uh, is, is a little tough to quantify at times. Well, I think the program has done a good job of rallying and circling the wagons too. Like, so, and that gets us to LSU is, is that Florida tends to play well and respond after something that happens. that's very disappointing, whether it's, you know, going to Arkansas and suffocating them for 35 minutes before they almost lost the game in the last five. Um, (laughs) Or, or, you know, the way that, that the Gators responded to their three game losing streak by, you know, winning, winning a game and then beating LSU, um, you know, any of that stuff. I, I think Florida has done, done some of that even this year, certainly last year, that was kind of the MO was something disappointing would happen. And then, you know, the really good Gators would show up in the PK 80 jerseys. Right. Um, 
So, so I think, you know, there's a reason for optimism, but yeah, I mean, I might change something. I, I might change, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it would be. Um, but they do have this sort of like no noise mantra that, you know, if you've seen on social media or you, you watch any of the, the white interviews that the clips that get released and it's always about no noise. It's just about us. And, and that's kind of their mantra when they go on the road and you look at power six teams and like, you know, I don't think they're going to win at Rupp arena, but you know, Florida has a chance to finish almost 500 on the road. Um, and they will finish 500 on the road in conference, no matter what happens. So, well, yeah, five and four, I guess. So I think you're, you're kind of looking at four and five if it was abrupt. Sorry. So, uh, no, no, five and four. I'm wrong again. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I might, I might think about some, something different next season just to see if you can reclaim it. Maybe you make it, you know, a big point of emphasis and you talk about it a lot. I, I don't know. Yeah. And, and again, I, I do look at some of the games that they lost, um, lost at home. And I, I obviously look at Michigan state back at, uh, seems like a long time ago, but, um, the, that was especially when Florida's offense was, was really, really struggling. And, uh, against South Carolina losing at home in a game that they should have won. Uh, they still were kind of having problems with those kind of late game execution things. And, and I still look at some of the, um, yeah, a little bit more of the X and O type things and saying like, yeah, they, they really didn't have things together at that point. And, um, I think it obviously bit them pretty badly, but, but yeah, then you look at these games um, like Georgia and, uh, at that point of the season and uh, after they close out a game or, or win a tight game at LSU in overtime and, uh, and kind of take care of business in a couple of those other games. Um, I, I do think that maybe it's a, it's something to do with just the, uh, the mindset and the preparation. So let's talk about Wednesday night. Cause again, I mean, I, 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 we get back to this point of everybody's all the sky is falling right now, but I feel like if you win Wednesday on senior night against an LSU team, you beat already against an LSU team that uh, Eric talked about this the first time Florida played them, but it, it's continued since has LSU has been fortunate in road games <laughs> on multiple occasions. I mean, they, another game, basically a one possession game at Alabama this weekend, um, you know, a place where Florida dominated. Uh, so, you know, I'm not saying that it's, it's going to be easy for Florida to beat LSU twice. I think LSU will be really jacked up to play, especially with, you know, they're playing potentially for the SEC championship uh, the way that their schedule sets up. So, you know, challenging, but, but what are you looking for? Well, I, I think I look back at, uh, look back at the way that um, Florida obviously won uh, in the first game. And I think that's obviously uh, the kind of one of the big things was the fact that Tremont Waters wasn't very good. And uh, I'm really interested to see if uh, that's the case again, because Tremont Waters has that ability to, uh, to kind of take things over on his own. And we even saw that in the last couple minutes of the game that he played pretty poorly and, um, and uh, still kind of hit some big shots and almost brought them back into it. So I'm really interested to see how he plays and what Florida does there. Um, and I'm also really interested to see, uh, to see what they do with Naz Reed, who I thought played a lot better game than maybe his stats indicated. And he had a, you know, he still had 16 points, but uh, pretty shot pretty well from the field, but uh, did turn the ball over a lot. Um, but I thought he just kind of really controlled things. So um, kind of coming off a game where Nicholas Claxton just uh, bullied the Gators, I'm really interested to do, to see what they do with a really similar player, Naz Reed, because um, Naz Reed is obviously built a lot bigger, but it's kind of uh, plays like Nicholas Claxton where he can uh, shoot the ball. I think Naz Reed probably shoots the ball better, um, can also, but can also beat guys off the dribble and be really smooth um, or get the ball in the post and make something happen there. So uh, 
I've kind of, yeah, especially yeah, coming off a game where Nicholas Claxton kind of dominated them. Um, I'm pretty, uh, pretty scared and, and interested to see what, just to see what they do with Nazareed. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think, I think certainly, uh, what, how they handle Nazareed again is, is important. Um, to some extent, I also think he's going to kind of get what he gets. The the thing that that's been the difference the last two times Florida's played LSU last year and this year has been their ability to contain Tremont Waters, right? I mean, he hasn't, he's over two in his attempts to play a good game against Florida. So, uh, I feel like if you get to over three, you've got a good chance to win. The X factor for LSU the last couple of weeks has been Javante Smart, who was two for eight against Florida uh, in the Baton Rouge game, and really not a not a big factor. Um, you know, and, and kind of struggled with Keontae Johnson in particular um, when Florida was man to man in the half court. Uh, Javante Smart was the reason that LSU beat Tennessee. Oh yeah, absolutely, and uh, he was yeah he was incredible in that game. And I I even see the fact that um, so he didn't play great against the Gators, but then you look at the fact that like Darius Days. Um, had a really good game in his, his kind of minutes against the Gators. Um, Marlon Taylor had some really good moments. Cavell Bigby Williams, he played well too. And, and obviously Skyler Mays was, uh, was probably their best player. So you Phenomenal, look at even yeah. the, the first matchup that the Gators had, and you're like, man, everyone other than Tremont Waters and Javante Smart played really, really well. Um, Emmett, Emmett Williams didn't play very well. But, but yeah, Skyler Mays, uh, Nazarene, Cavell Bigby Williams, and Marlon Taylor, and, um, and Darius Days were all really, really good. And somehow Florida found a way to win. And uh, that's without, like you said, Tremont Waters and, and Javante Smart. So uh, that'll be really interesting to see uh, to see what they do. But uh, the other thing that's that's kind of interesting is uh, obviously in Florida one, it took that uh, that major second half in overtime from from Kayvon Allen, and uh, it also took a pretty good game from Noah Locke where he had 15 points, even though that was uh, you know one of the games that his his three point shot wasn't falling the way it had earlier in the year. Um, but yeah, those guys combined for for thirty six points, and Noah Locke and Kayvon Allen haven't been great these last couple of games. So um, I do wonder uh, wonder how how things change for Florida when those guys aren't firing. Yeah, no, I mean I think that's a that's also a, a pretty big point of concern. Um, uh, you know, the other one would be you've beaten this team once; they're going to be motivated to play you. It's senior night. And, and I hate to, you know, I hate to get back to the culture question again, but like Florida hasn't handled success. And to some extent, I think sometimes there's like these distractions. I mean, people had started to chatter about them, um, you know, and you kind of referenced it. I mean, they had, they had beaten LSU that kind of handled their business before then. And people were saying, Oh, you know, Florida could end up being like an eight or a seven seed and, and scare somebody in the second round. Right. And then you go out and play a team that's one and thirteen in the league and lose. So, you know, how does Florida respond to that? Uh, obviously, a pretty significant uh, point of concern. And can Florida continue to do enough in the paint? Because um, that was the big thing in the first game was just Florida's ability to hold their own inside against LSU. And and how is LSU going to match up with Matt Krause in the starting lineup? That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's my question. Uh, you know, on senior night with Matt, Matt Kroos, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm guessing he'll get the start, which will be uh, some entertaining minutes to start things off with. He's got to uh, stare down like Marlon Taylor. So, but anyways, uh, yeah, no, the, the interior game, that was, uh, that was pretty big because Cavell Bigby-Williams, he, uh, he made some things happen on the inside. And Nazareed, I just, I still feel like he, um, 
yeah, you know, he's four for 11 from, from the inside. And, and I just feel like he was, he was better than that in my mind's eye. I had a couple spill outs and uh, I just really like him whenever, whenever I see him play, even when, uh, even when they lost to, uh, or sorry, when they, when they beat Tennessee and, and Naz Reed was not good at all. I still thought he, well, I still thought he played pretty well, even though he couldn't score for, for most of the game and, and missed some shots. I just think he's, you just feel him on every possession on, on either side of the ball. Um, but yeah, Florida is going to have to yeah. be, uh, once again, I just kind of go back to um, Florida is going to have to be really good inside after coming off a game in Georgia where uh, they weren't very good on the inside against a team that is nowhere near as talented on the inside as, as LSU. So that is a, that is a concern. So uh, that's, that's going to be, you know, that, that's kind of our, our, our assessment and preview of it. We'll, uh, we'll be back to talk about it after, uh, after the game and, and get you all ready for, for Rupp Arena, um, where, you know, the Gators are going to go and try to win for a second straight year. Yeah, that would uh, that'd be great. <laughs> and that's as much as uh, that's that's always a game where Mike White haters are a little bit more quiet because Florida has been uh, been pretty good against Kentucky in his time. Um, and yeah, obviously Florida was able to hang on to their massive uh, lead against Kentucky. Uh, the first matchup that uh, yeah, Mike White would have really owned uh, really owned that matchup with Kentucky. But um, hey, you know what? If Florida somehow gets uh, if Florida gets embarrassed against LSU, uh, that could certainly, you know, that game against Kentucky could become, uh, could become very, very big. So, um, yeah, that'll be, a, but yeah, we'll kind of cross that bridge when we get to it, I suppose. So we don't often do predictions. Let's just close. I mean, you think Florida, you think Florida beats LSU Wednesday night or no? I don't think so. Um, once again, I, I kind of coming off, um, coming off the game against Georgia. I, uh, I just don't think that. um, I, I just don't think that they uh, – I can predict them to win. And I also just kind of factor in the, the, the fact that uh, I don't really think they should have won against LSU the first time around. Um, I thought that just kind of the way that they played basketball for most of the game uh, kind of indicated that I thought LSU probably deserved to win that one and, and Florida was able to pull it out. But uh, I, I don't see it as like, well, Florida beat them the first time they can beat them again. Um, I, I, obviously, that is true. But I think that Florida's kind of stole one a little bit. And uh, for that reason, I don't think they necessarily have the uh, – the upper hand and just have to, uh, uh, they just kind of keep it. I, I think that, that I kind of come in with the, this, the kind of mindset that, Hey, I think LSU should have beat them the first time and played better. And then you see, uh, you see kind of the way that Florida played against Georgia. And, uh, for that reason, I, I do think LSU is going to win in a, in a close one. Nice. I also think Florida will lose a close game. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't agree that I thought Florida was a better team yeah. and, and deserved to win in Baton Rouge. I thought, um, you know, they held their own with LSU on the glass, which nobody's done really in SEC play, uh, except Kentucky uh, and Arkansas, who rebounds well. And, you know, I thought, and Florida more or less led 30 to 35 minutes of the game. I mean, you know, I don't think, I guess I don't, I, I give Florida more credit for containing Tremont Waters for the second straight year than, you know, maybe Tremont not playing well. Um, and I certainly think, if you can kind of contain some of the other pieces around him, which Florida did just enough of that they, they, you know, they deserve to win that game. Um, obviously they, they had to get hot from three point range, but that's kind of the deal with this team. I mean, they shot 23% from downtown against Georgia and left with an L right. So um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I just think LSU has, it's a weird one because LSU has so much to play for uh, just like Florida. It's not like, another senior night where like LSU's seeding in the <laughs> SEC tournament is determined and, and you know, they're, they're just kind of like, all right, we're playing out the string. 
until March because we know we're a four or five seed and that's as good as we're going to do. I think that kind of stuff matters. So, right. That would be my, t- that would be my take. Yeah. On. I mean, yeah, I, we haven't really talked about that. That's a great point. Just the fact that LSU probably is right on the cusp of like some people have them as a two seed. Some people have them as a three seed, uh, you know, win on the road against Florida. That's a, that's a big win for, 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 for LSU. So I think that's uh I think that I think that they are going to be playing for a lot because the difference between a two seed and a three seed is uh, can be pretty substantial. So uh, that's a great point that I didn't even think about. It's just the fact that uh, that LSU is still playing for a great NCAA tournament season. Yeah, and I think I, I mean I I don't my internet is not working, so I don't know when their last regular season SEC championship was, but it's been a while, you know, um, and and it's like the way that the schedule sets up you know, you have to kind of like their chances to, to close it out if they beat the Gators. Yeah, I, I would think that. And that's a, that's pretty wild. And, uh, you know, obviously with, uh, I probably was in the camp thinking that, that Tennessee or, or Kentucky was going to be kind of the runaway favorites. And, uh, and there you have LSU. So it's so really good for them. And hopefully, hopefully the Gators can, uh, can play a part in playing spoiler. Yeah. No word on whether that title will be vacated eventually, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but a big, a big a big one Saturday, right? So thanks for listening and we will uh we'll be back on the other end.